me. My name is Christine. I'm on the leadership team here, part of the preaching team as well. It's nice to meet you. Good to have you with us here at Crestmont. We're in our second week of 1 Samuel. So uh, this passage is somewhat familiar in the Bible, but why it's important to me or or gives me that awe feeling is because I remember when my kids learned about this story in Sunday school, which you'll all get to learn and we'll dive into later. But when they were about three years old, they learned this story in, about Samuel in 1 Samuel and did a little craft. And then the main phrase of this story is, speak, Lord, your servant hears or is listening. That's the main phrase in in this story. But they did a little craft and they made these headbands. And on the headband, it said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And then they did these earmuffs with multicolored uh, cotton balls on them. And so they're walking out with these big headbands that says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. They can't even read. They're like three years old. And huge Princess Leia ear buns like that. And they're just walking around proud as anything that this is the craft that they make. And you just feel like, oh, the Lord's just going to, you know, fall down. It was so cute. Everybody in the lobby is just going, there's another one. There's another one. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And it just reminded me, I wanted to put that picture up. It's in somebody, one of my kids' photo albums. I wanted to put it up because they're just so cute. And uh, at reading this passage again, I just didn't even remember how rich this passage is and the things that are in it. So I hope that we can learn about those things together. So where are we in the Bible? First Samuel seems smack dab right there in the middle of Old Testament history in those narrative portions where we're going through the life of Israel. So just as a point of context, and we talked about the structure of this nation of the people of Israel in past weeks, they started out as a family. There was the Adam and Eve family, the Noah family, and then the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this was the family of God, the chosen people of God. And the structure that God established for that period of time was this structure of a family. And then they settle as a family in Egypt after the Joseph story. And they grow into a people a people of two million. I don't think we have two million people over for Thanksgiving as a family. So they grew up into this people group and the structure of God's chosen people is a people. But then God through Moses calls them out of Egypt. They're, they're subjugated into slavery there. He says, come out of that structure and I am going to create and make you a nation and now the structure of Israel is a nation. And we, uh, Joel brought this word last week and he called it a federation of tribes. So each one of this family had a tribe and the tribe is multi-thousands of people. And this federation of tribes during this point of history is governed by judges. And this is many, many generations that, that these tribes in this promised land are governed by judges. And it starts out pretty good, the book of Judges. But then as the chapters wear on, it deteriorates. And you see this epic giant downward spiral of this people. And they no longer follow the words of God. And at the end of the book, it says about this God's chosen people, Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So 
the performance of this family, of these peoples, of this nation, is not the important thing as much as this family, this people, this nation, belonged to God. And it was his family, people, nation. So now the story dawns in the book of First Samuel, and we see that Hannah, a faithful woman in this nation, was trusting God for a son. She was barren, and she was pouring her heart out to God, and God gave her a son, Samuel. So she dedicated Samuel to the temple, and he was raised in the temple uh, once he was weaned. And then when Samuel went to the temple, there was the high priest. His name was Eli. Now I'm kind of recapping. We're going to be in chapter 3, but I'm recapping chapter 2 for you. Eli the high priest had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I don't know if those... Phinehas might be making a comeback, but Hophni not so much, maybe as baby names. So um, Hophni and Phinehas were... They were leading the priest and the... Leading priests in the temple. So... Chapter 2 goes into great detail on how corrupt these priests had become. They were taking, instead of the sacrifices for the atonement of the people, which is God's plan to, for the forgiveness of sin so they can have a right relationship with them, they were taking the very best choicest meats for themselves. And then God, in his glorious wisdom, included women in temple worship, but in neighboring nations, women included in temple worship were taken advantage of. Well, Hophni and Phinehas started taking advantage of women in the temple, which was against God's plan. He wanted to esteem women, but Hophni and Phinehas were taking advantage of women in the temple. So we have great concerns here where the people are doing what is right in their own eyes, but the priests are doing what is right in their own eyes. And we know back in Moses's day that God sent down the word of God. This is how through the 10 commandments and the law, this is how you can have a right relationship with me. Hophni and Phinehas, Eli are not following God's plan. They are corrupt. So now... A man of God comes with a warning to Eli about Hophni and Phinehas. And he says at the end of chapter 2, this is going to come to an end. God is going to judge you for what you are doing. And you are going to be removed from your service. You and your family line. Very detailed. You did not follow the law that God had prescribed. It was clearly his word that he spoke to Moses that you are not following. It was revealed and you are not following that plan. So God says, I'm going to remove you from service. So that's the end. We're not preaching on chapter two, but you need to know chapter two as we lead up into chapter three. But today, our passage of 1 Samuel chapter three reads very much like a script. So I thought, why just read a script when the gospel tabernacle family players could come up and perform this passage of scripture for you. So cast today in the role of Eli is my dear husband, Jim. That's right. And cast in the leading role of Samuel is Levi Ruppick. Thank you. Thank you.
cast in the role of narrator, director, and God is me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, I'm preparing the sermon, so why not, right? We're just going to have a little fun with this, but let's do this visually, interactively, so that we can see this story being played out. Now, remember where we are in the passage in Israel's history, and we'll get back to it. This is going to be like a silent movie. I'm going to provide the script. My friends here are going to act their roles. Are you ready? Let's do this. Okay. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak so that he could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am, and he ran to Eli. And he said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. Again, the Lord said, Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came to him and stood there calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone hear it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God. He failed to restrain them. Before I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering. Eli, Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house to the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it? That he said to you, Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his own eyes. The Lord was with Samuel, and he grew up. 
And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all of Israel. So as we read that story, it's a good story, isn't it? It reads like, I could have told you the story, but that was kind of better, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was dress rehearsal, opening and closing performances. So we did it, got it all in, in one performance. Excellent. Great job. And the people who listen to the podcast, so sorry you didn't get to see that. So as we listen to this story, or as maybe you reflect, maybe you heard this story, maybe you never have, but if you hear this story, um, many main points might come to mind, like what is this passage about? So here's what my main point is not. My main point is not, God can speak to children too. That's not, the, that's not my main point today. It's a true statement. It is absolutely a true statement. What my main point is not is God will speak if you just listen hard enough. That's not my main point. There is some truth to positioning yourself to hear God. That is a true statement. It's not my main point. Main point is not God speaks mostly early in the morning. Those of us who have been in the church, we've kind of heard stories like that before. God can speak early in the morning. There is validity to some of that. Not the main point. My main point is not when you're bad, God will punish you. You could get something like that out of this. And it's not, you have to be near to God to hear him. I can hear some other preachers maybe saying, since Samuel was in the tabernacle or so close to God, that's why he heard him. Those are not my main points. My main point is, God initiates his word and we respond. And what I want to talk about is God initiating his word and our response. I want to talk about 95% God initiating his word and the little bit that is our response. So let's start in together. I'm going to dazzle you today with um, a chart, but... um, I know, I know, you know, dazzle or, or, or dismay, I don't know. So at this point of history, we talked about this family of God. We talked about this people of God, this nation of God. And now we are on the verge, the storm front. This is like a clash of culture where we are going from being the nation of God or a federation of tribes into a kingdom led by a human king. This is going to be an epic shift. And it all happens within this chapter. Uh, As I read this chapter, I've never looked at it the way I've looked at it this week. I just saw all of these really lovely contrasts. The Jewish authors that put together scripture are amazing in the way they put words together. And if you notice what's repeated and things that are symbolic, you see much deeper uh, revelation come up surfacing out of this. So here are some of the categories that I saw and some of the contrasts in our story between specifically Eli and Samuel. I saw the difference in their roles. This is a storm front between the prophet and the priest. 
So here's the role of the priest in that day. The, the role of the priest is to represent the people to God. They are conducting the sacrifices, receiving the gifts from the people, and they are presenting these sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of sin to maintain this right relationship between people and God. This, these priests were not doing that, but that was the role of the priest. The role of the prophet is to hear the voice of God, to know what he's saying, and represent God to the people in his word. So here in this moment of this like storm front of corrupt priests, God raises up a prophet in Samuel. And this is the old Samuel, he's almost 100, and the young I almost said Levi, young Samuel, who is probably 12 years old. Sorry, he looked older, but he's about 12 years old, maybe a little older, but about 12 years old at that time. And the lineage, here are Eli, here is Eli with his biological sons who are in the family line to become the high priests eventually, or to be the priests with the job of representing the people to God and with the job of of the atonement of sins and here is and they are old and they're in charge and corrupt and here is young Samuel who is just literally being raised in the church we say being raised in the church is someone who goes to the church all the time he's being raised in the tab the tabernacle so these are the lineage is biological sons, but this is a spiritual son. Here is a son who's responding to the voice of God and giving the word of God as God direct. The, the condition. If you go through this passage, I hope you do sometime, look at all the times eyes and vision are repeated. That it's not only Eli's dim eyes and vision, it's his spiritual dim vision. It's his spiritual inability to see. It's his disconnection from God and his word. The word of God and the visions were rare, but also Eli was not spiritually or physically in this way prepared or conditioned to see God's word and God's vision. And then here is Samuel, a fresh hearing. He has no history of knowing the word of God. He does not know the word of God. But when God speaks and Eli finally realizes it and sends him back and says, okay, that's, the, that's God speaking to you. Now here is Samuel. And he says, speak, Lord, your servant is, is listening. And here he, he has this listening ear. This was the first manifest presence that God came to Samuel. So we just got done in January with the Manifest Presence series. And what we talked about was the omnipresence of God. We know that God is always there, but he also comes in manifest presence, which is ways that we can detect him. Seeing the observable presence is the way it was taught to me. It's a God stop. Stop when you see the observable presence of God. Stop. Something is happening. It's a God stop. Stop for a minute. We talk about God's stories. For Samuel, I love that the condition of his heart is fresh hearing, but he was not doing some kind of rain dance to get God to speak to him. 
It was totally unsolicited. And even when we go back to the Manifest Presence series, something that jumped out at me all the way through scripture, when you see people who experience the manifest presence of God so often, most often it is unsolicited. So there is, there is sometimes too much pressure we put on ourselves to hear from God and more the willingness to hear God or, or to respond to him is what he's after. So this is an unsolicited manifest presence of God to Samuel. So then finally, uh, next to last, the word of God. God initiated the word to Israel through the Torah. It was hidden during that time, and God initiated his word to Samuel, and Samuel heard. The priests had a logos word, and Samuel had a rhema word. Just like manifest presence, not something we use very often, there's two different types of words. We say omnipresence and manifest presence. We kind of know what we mean by that. There's also two types of words of God. There's this logos word of God, which is what the priests had. They had the written word of God. They had God presenting himself in this written in form. And then there's also the rhema word of God, which is a God-spoken word for a specific reason to a specific person. I think sometimes we think that only the word of God comes through scripture or through general ways. And sometimes we only think I haven't heard the word of God unless I've heard a specific word of him to me. What has he speaking? I don't know what to do about this decision or thing in my life. I need to have him speak to me. But it's the combination of these things that are both equally valid. This logos, general word of scripture of how God is speaking. And then this very specific word that he can drop into a moment and speak a word to a person, to a group of people for a purpose. And they're both valid and they're both present in our story. So then there's this trajectory. So we know from the judges and from Eli and his family that their trajectory is to go away from God. And we know that Samuel's trajectory was to go toward God. When he heard the word of God, he responded by telling Eli what the word of God was. And he grew out of this experience and he continued in this trajectory toward God of hearing and speaking the word of God. So God initiates his word. He has initiated his word through scripture and the Old Testament, but there are also all throughout scripture, these rhema words of God, rhema words. So God initiates his word and we respond. So I want to tell you about a time that I received a rhema word from God. I was at work, um, not in a devotional posture at all. I was serving drinks on a cart in an airplane. And as I was just pouring the drinks and going down, I asked somebody, what would you like to drink? And this lady said, just water. And I poured her a water. Not the first time that has ever happened to me, by the way. So I pour the water and I hand the water to her. And when I pass that water from her, from me to her, I just very clearly had just this sense. It wasn't an audible word. It wasn't any anything. It was the words, just water for you, Christine. I thought, well, what does that mean? And I thought about it, poured drinks all the way down. I went back through the next time I went to her. What would you like to drink? 
Just water. Just water. What? Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? But there's a difference when it's, when it's like God highlighting somebody else's words and speaking to you. It's like, I know, God, you are speaking something to me. And I meditated on that. I'm like, what do you mean just water? And he said, I just want you to drink water. Like, okay, wait. So I knew it meant you can eat whatever you want, but for your beverages, I want you to just drink water. And so here's how I, unlike Samuel, more like Hophni and Phineas, I just start saying, well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, so what about milkshakes? Just water. Soda water. Just water. Um, what if it's soup and I'm drinking it? What if it's soup and it's in a spoon? Just water. No explanation to this rhema word. You know, I would like to think that if Jesus came down and told me what I was supposed to do, that I would say like, that's all I really need. I just need you to tell me what to do and I'll do it. But clearly from this one example, I am not that easy. I start saying, but yeah, but when should I start? How long is it going to go? Why would I do that? What, I mean, like, like really, when should I start? No reply. So this is in the fall. This is in the fall. It takes me many, many months of just this thought keeps coming back to me. Like, you know, I'm in worship or I'm in prayer or I'm doing a Bible study and I'm just like, yeah, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to be true to you. And just this word, just water, just water. So my birthday is in April and we're coming up to my birthday. It was my 50th birthday. And I had a really strong sense. It, I, I can't say that God and I speak back and forth in full sentences. He needs very few words. I need all the rest of them. So he speaks very few words to me, but they're very weighty and meaningful. And I know what he means by that. And then I go ahead and I use all my words back. But there was much a sense coming up to my birthday of this is your 50th birthday. How do you want this to go? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to say yes to me? And it wasn't that paragraph. That's me using all the words. It was just him sitting there with me saying, I've invited you. Just water. What would you like to do? And so on my birthday, I just said, I'm not going <laughs> into my next decade without you and without obedience. And it was just a time in my life where God was saying, will you do what I say, even though you don't know what I mean by that? Will you do what I say, even though you don't know how long it's going to last? Will you do what I say, even if you don't know what the outcome of that is going to be? Will you just listen to me and do as I say, because I am God, your creator, who loved you and died for you and cares for you and breathes life every day into you? Will you participate with me in what I'm doing in your life? Yes or no? And so on my 50th birthday, I started drinking just water. Didn't tell anybody. Jim knew. Jim kept forgetting. He would offer me coffee. He often brings me coffee in the morning. He'd bring me coffee. And I'm like, 
just water. <laughs> like, right, six months into it even, right? Anyway, very dear and sweet. Do you, want, do you want a smoothie tonight? No, thanks. Just water. A bowl of ice cream, but, you know, the way I worked things out. And do you know, during that, during that year, something that I'd been praying about, I totally disconnected the thing. It was not part of a January fast. It wasn't part of getting to know God better. It wasn't part of, I'm drilling down on this thing. I want to see a breakthrough. I want an enemy defeated in my life. All of those things could have been valid reasons. It was just yes for no particular reason. I'm just going to do it, and I don't know why, and I don't know how long, and I don't know what it's going to accomplish. It was just an exercise. But during that year, something that we had been praying for, like totally released and shook out, totally resolved. And I didn't even attach the two as those things were happening. As the summer went on and the fall went on and December and January and the next year, and it ended up being about a year of my life. But um, at the end of it, in retrospect, when I, I still like, what was that for? I said, and I can't even tell you that's why God did it. I can't even tell you that, that that happened because of that particular obedience. I just know that coincidentally, those two things coincided. It was like God was saying, I would like to do something in your life. And this is the way we need to do it. Will you partner with me? Will you listen? Will you hear me and do what I ask you to do? And so I would like to tell you that the formula now is just to kick out all your beverages and just drink water. Please don't make this a prescription of any sort or kind. I haven't done it again. I don't recommend it as a particular fast. It's certainly an option um, for anyone. And certainly you can do it if you like. But that's not the point. The point is that God is speaking to us. And so often it's uninitiated. But what are we going to do when we hear it? How are we going to respond? Do I say yes? It's just amazing how God wants to partner with us in our lives. Amazing how humble he is to enter into our mundane, daily, ordinary chores and lives. And he says, I just want to be with you and partner with you and bring my kingdom to this, to your little life, to your circle of people. Will you let me? Is that a yes? Anyway, so God initiates his word, all caps. We respond, little words. So then we look at Jesus, and we see how Jesus is revealed in scripture. And he says, John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the wor world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power, his divine nature have all been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without an excuse. God is not hiding or withholding his word. There is always the logos word of God. When you feel like you're in a desert, you haven't had a rhema word, you haven't had that specific thing for a long time, you have all of creation, you have all of scripture, you have the person of Jesus, you have the Logos word of God, and it is plenty. Plenty. So now we look at the Eli character. 
and the Samuel character. And we look at Jesus and we're like, Jesus is the better prophet. Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's inviting people with the word of God, with the word. He's representing God to the people through his words. He says, for I have not spoken on my own. Remember, the prophet speaks the word of God. But the Father who sent me has given me the commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus is the perfect prophet. Samuel was great. Jesus is perfect. He always speaks the word of God. Jesus is the better high priest. Wasn't hard to get better than Hophni and Phinehas and Eli, but Jesus is the perfect priest. In Hebrews, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find the grace to help us in our time of need. Hophni and Phinehas prevented the people from experiencing the atonement to enter in a right relationship with God. And for them, that sin would not be forgiven. Jesus is the opportunity for us to have a right relationship with God. He is both the high priest, the prophet, and the sacrifice. He not only does not prevent, but in every possible way invites us into a right relationship with God. And the only way that we cannot have a right relationship with God is to refuse to reject or not respond, disregard Jesus. And Jesus is the image of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God is speaking to you through his Logos word and you say, this is the way, you are the Christ. Jesus is the way to salvation, to eternal life, to abundant life in this world. He wants to descend as he did into, you know, Jerusalem, Israel 2,000 years ago. He wants to descend in our, to our lives now. He wants to walk with us step by step. He wants to be with us. And all we have to do is say, yes, I want to go with you. So our, this book and this study is named First Samuel. It's named after Samuel. We're going to have stories about Saul. We're going to have stories about David as a shepherd and a slayer, SSS. But the book is named after Samuel. And I often wonder if there were a scribe writing First Christine, First Jim, First John, 
first Donna. What would that story read? What is my story reading? What is my response? How has God spoken to me? How has he brought my word? Is it going to be, and the vision was dim, and, and there, the visions were rare, and the word of God was not spoken? Is it going to be she did what was right in her own eyes? Or is the story going to be she was afraid? She heard from God. She didn't necessarily want to say it. She didn't know God before, but then she knew him then. And then she spoke the word of God. And she took it so seriously that she didn't let any of those words fall to the ground. She heard the, the word of God come to her. And she said, yes. I want that to be how my book ends. I want that to be how your book ends. So he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. He has spoken to us. And he wants to keep speaking to us. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We hear. Amen.